I'm glad for the opportunity to be here tonight. Glad to see all of you here. Appreciate the, the good spirit that I've here already. I certainly enjoy the good singing. As a youngster, I was taught to sing harmony. And hymns just sound better that way, in my opinion. <laughs> so uh, I really liked it. I am feeling uh, I'm a little bit apprehensive about preaching. I'd ask you guys to pray for me that the Lord will give me liberty. I can't do this by myself. I'm going to turn us to a couple of uh, a couple of brief passages for a reading lesson. The first is found in the book of Second Corinthians in chapter five. Beginning in verse 14, 2 Corinthians 5, 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then were all dead. And he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. And if you would, you turn to the, uh, the gospel according to John, chapter 5. John, chapter 5, and beginning in verse 24. The words of our Lord. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth, they that have done good under the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. Then finally, Ezekiel chapter 37. And I'll read just a couple of verses. Verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out into the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones. It caused me to pass by them round about, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? Now, if we read these passages, we can understand they're concerned with human death. That's what it's about. It's about humans that God sees as dead. Our first passage says that if Christ died for all, 
and he did die for all, then we're all dead. <laughs> that means you. That means me. Now, particularly as young people, it's hard to think of yourself as dead. We don't, it just doesn't seem to make any sense at all. You, you, your very existence contradicts that. You, you're living, you're breathing, you're thinking, you're, you're having fun, you're having sorrow. Somebody hurts you, somebody doesn't. I mean, it's life. We're, it, it's just so manifestly life that we cannot deny the life. But see, we, like all of Adam's race, we look on the outward appearance, even our own. We look upon our flesh and our blood and, and our life as we know it. And we judge things by that. And we judge our own life by that, so-called life. And we judge other people according to that standard, according to how man sees it. But see, this whole thing ain't about bad. It's about God. It's he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his sheep. (laughs) And we are here for his pleasure. And when he sees us, as he finds us, we are dead in sin and trespasses. Now, a lost person likes to just deflect right away from that and say, well... You're dead in sin. Okay, so I'm spiritually dead. Well, I don't really know what that means, so I'm alive. I mean, that's just, you, you just give that a very short shrift and you, you don't think about it too much because you think you know better. But the eternal God who is from everlasting and to everlasting, he sees the, uh, the extreme shortness of that life that you that you treasure and put all your trust in because you experience it and you, and you just ignore the graveyards of your ancestors. But he sees right past it. He characterizes it. He says, your life, it's a vapor. It's, it's like a little steam coming off of a boiling pot of water. It's there and it's gone. We cannot conceive of eternity because we are bound by time. Our time to us is, is from, from our birth until our death in this world. And, and then we, we, we subdivide life somehow or other and, and think we're dealing with it. But God says, oh no, you're like the grass that withers and the flower of grass that fades away. It's, it's just the Spirit of God blows upon you and you wither and you, and you die. He says, Christ died for all. And that's true. All are dead. That's true. Jesus in, in John chapter 5, he talks about it. He says, you know, if you live and believe in me, you have a, you pass. There's a passage that takes place. It starts with your death. We think everything starts with our life, but no, it's not. It starts when we're in a state of death. As far as God sees us, we're dead. We have a little blip of life, but we're 
headed towards eternal death. The second death, the Bible calls that in Revelation. And he says, well, I'll read it because I don't want to mess. <laughs> sure don't want to mess up what he says. Truly, truly, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, he has everlasting life. That's present tense. Shall not come into condemnation. Thank God for that. But is passed from death into life. So there, there is a, a means whereby all the dead of this world, and we're all dead by nature, can, it's like passing a test, except it's not mental. You, you have to pass. You have to change states. From a dead man or woman or child to a, to a living child of God. We read in Revelation, he says, you know, that, that, uh, uh, that books were open and the dead were judged by the things written in the books. <laughs> but you see, there was another book open and that's the, uh, the book of life. And the people's names in there, they're not dead. Jesus told um, um, Martha, when he had come to raise Lazarus physically from the dead, he said, uh, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Do we believe it? We see the death of our bodies coming and we, it's just kind of hard for us to see. But I can tell you, we never die. See, when we pass from death to life, it's the part of us that we're not as acquainted with as we ought to be. Our spiritual life, which is the true life, the real life. God's a spirit and he's given us spirits. He has created us in his image uniquely amongst all created order. I don't know what that means, but I know the impact of it. We mean a lot to him. He wants us to be saved. We are the, we are the reason, I think, for all of this creation. He, he wants a family. And it's got to be a family that's like him. <laughs> capable of love. Capable of worship. And he says, God's a spirit. And they who worship him must worship him in spirit. What you do with your flesh, you think it matters. It don't. Not when it comes to worshiping God. It's all in the heart. Dead men can't worship God. And if you don't worship God, you're bound for the second death. Now, he talks about a present time. He said, the time is coming and now is present and future in which the dead will hear the voice of the son of God. Now, he said, normally says son of man, but see, it's, is not the Son of Man, the, the physical Christ speaking, because he's, he's ascended to heaven. We, he's not down here talking to us. But the Son of God and the Son of Man up in heaven, but through the Spirit, Jesus speaks to us in this world. He speaks to lost hearts. And, and when he, he gives a commandment, I, I think it's live. I think it's what Ezekiel 16 talks about. I saw you and I said, live. I, I don't know what he says. But we hear something from him, and that is what caught. So hearing from Jesus 
causes us to live. Now, now, do we hear the word? Not always. I heard him when, when I doubted after he sang me. And he, and he let me know. I heard him speak that he, he had forgiven my sins. And I knew all, somehow he communicated without words that that meant eternal life. And that it was permanent. That it was an act of God and therefore could not be undone by man. I heard the voice of the Son of God in my spirit, which had been dead. And I lived. And I'll live forevermore. Then a few verses down. Because I know they were marveling at it. He knew it too. He knows what's in us. He says, don't marvel at that. I mean, that's a lot to marvel about. I glory in what he has done for me. I make my boast in Christ for there's nothing good in me, certainly not in my flesh. But he says, uh, don't marvel at that because the day is coming that everyone that is in a grave. Now that means bodies, bodies. Bodies are in grace, spirits aren't in grace. Uh, The rich man died and his spirit was in hell. And with his eyes, his eyes were rotting in a grave, but with his, he lifted up his eyes being in torments. He felt the flames of hell on a body that was far away from the place where he was at that time. Don't tell me spirits can't feel. They probably feel way more keenly than this stuff. So he said, they're all gonna hear the voice of God, the Son of God, and shall come forth. Now that's a word that's not been spoken yet. That is yet to come. He said, the day is coming. It was not yet, had not yet happened, but it's coming when everybody comes up in once. A general resurrection. There's only one. (laughs) I mean, Christ, the first fruits, he's God. And he raised some that died again, but, but he was the first to raise, never again to die. And then the captain of our salvation ascended bodily to God while he was yet blessing his disciples. He's blessing them and he's blessing them. And as he blesses, he, he rises and, and he keeps on blessing. And he still blesses us through the Spirit. We're talking about weighty things, things that matter Forever, it's important for us to be introduced to ourselves by God and see us, see ourselves as we are in his sight, which is true sight and true understanding. We're all dead. All the race of Adam, dead. Until and unless you hear the voice of the Son of God and you live. From that point... It's life. It's abundant life. It's life everlasting. It is, it, it's destiny is changed. It's bound uh, for eternal glory and light. We become children of the light. We become children of God. Uh, unthinkable thing for what had been such a, a miserable dead wretch. I'll never get to Ezekiel 37, but I'm just... I love what he says. 
and I love what he does. Now in Ezekiel 37, the field of bones, most of you have heard about it and read it. And I'm telling you, I, I don't have a monopoly of opinions about what this means. I cannot tell you that mine is the best one. I would, I would not so characterize it. There are more studied people, but I, I have heard some that I disagree with. Some of them say that that is a future event for ethnic or national Israel. I disagree with it. You know, they're, uh, you know, they have their basis for it. I understand why they think that. But they also seem to overlook some things that are clear. Because, you know, we read in this passage, if I ever get to it, uh, that it's the whole house of Israel. And they say, see there, it's Israel. <laughs> but we read that, uh, that they are not all Israel who are of Israel. And, and that which is of the flesh is, is not Israel, but it's the, it's the children of promise. What is the promise that was given to Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Jacob? It said, through thy seed, singular, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And the blessing is a commandment from the Father, is life everlasting. That's what it is. Dead men live forever in glory with God in a world that this one's corrupted. He's not just going to fix it up. He's going to expunge it and he will make a new one where sin has never existed and never will. Brethren, I look forward to that. I'm not the one to preach about it. I don't have the knowledge. But uh, they are not all Israel that are of Israel, the children of the promise. So the promise is that you can be blessed by Christ, the, the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to each of whom God made that promise directly. And the apostle explains that that seed is singular and that it's Christ. I have been blessed by Christ. <laughs> he blessed me at many stages he blessed me when he taught me through the spirit that I was dead in sin, that I was in deep trouble and I was headed towards hell. He blessed me when he, he drew me to himself. He blessed me before I was born when he, when he condescended. It means descended to our level with us and took upon himself flesh and blood. And lived as our brother. He, our DNA and his are, are from the same source physically. He's our cousin at the least. I mean, some of the Jewish people, he may be an uncle. You know? I don't know. But, but he's, he's our cousin. He is. We are related to Jesus. A close, a close relation to him. He took upon flesh so that he would be like us. But through his spirit. He, and through his actions on the cross, he makes us to be like him. It says we will be because we're going to see him as he is. We're going to be like him. We won't be God. <laughs> Thank God, but we won't be God. There'll still be God. He'll still be running things, but 
Well, we won't be like we are. We'll be like he was when he rose from the dead. So Isaiah, a prophet of God, is brought by God. Uh, I don't know, I guess it's a vision. He says that the spirit of the Lord, uh, the hand of the Lord was upon me and he carried me out in the spirit of the Lord. So I take this as a spiritual experience, not necessarily a physical field. And he set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones. Now, I'm pretty sure that the, the imagery here has to do with an, a reality of the past when people fought with swords and spears, hand-to-hand combat. There's no artillery. It was, they all just fought it out, and whoever survived won. You know, and people by the hundreds of thousands, you know, the, the Roman battles, the Carthaginians, the, the Greeks, the, the, you know, you, you name it. We have been killing each other <laughs> since the first man born killed his brother. We've been killing each other and we cannot stop. This nation won't stop. Nobody's going to stop. God hates it, but we do it. They used to fight with swords and, and clubs and spears and, and they fell on the ground and they didn't pick up all those bodies and bury them. They, they lay where they died. After a while, they rotted and, and carrion would come and gnaw at the bones and eventually when it's all cleaned up then the, the sun shines on them and they become white and dry just like what he sees here. So this is a scene of what was familiar back then a battlefield, an ancient battlefield where everybody died. That's what it looked like. Those exist to this day. They've been kind of covered up and dissolved over time, but they have found them. And that's what he's seeing. He says, he, uh, he calls me to pass by them round about. So he, he walked through the field and he saw it all. He says, behold, there were very many in the open valley and lo, they were very dry. You know, the dryness comes into, you know, we, we speak of the, 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 the water, you know, the water of life. The spirit is, is life and it's compared with water and, and water is, is necessary for the living. You know, so if there's just a little water in them, it, there's just a little bit of what was left of life. But these are very dry. There is no life. They are dead as a doornail, we would say. This is what the prophet sees. Then he says... He's asked a question by the Lord. The Lord said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? I hope that I would have had the wisdom that that question was asked me to say, <laughs> you'll have to tell me, Lord, I, I have no power to do anything at all for these bones. They are utterly dead. They're outside of my control. Thou knowest is what he says. Thou knowest. Oh God, oh Lord God, thou knowest. Again, he said unto me, prophesy upon these bones. Now, prophecy can be foretelling of future events. Prophecy can also mean telling whatever the Lord puts on your heart to speak to people, whether it's about the future or not. You know, so if, if you, by the Spirit, are moved to talk to people about godly things... That is a spirit of prophecy. I, I don't know of any other way to, I'm, I'm convinced of that. 
If we preach in the Spirit, we prophesy. And I have testified one-on-one with people. And I know the Lord was in that too. That was a prophecy. We are, we are forth-telling uh, the wonderful words of life given us by our Lord Jesus Christ so that they also may live. So he's telling them to preach, if you will. Preach upon these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones. So he's relaying what God would have him say to the bones. And he says, Behold, I'll cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I'll lay sinews on you. I'll bring up flesh upon you, cover you with skin, put breath in you and ye shall live and ye shall know that I am the Lord. And it wasn't all that long after I was saved and trying to study and I ran across this and and this thought came to me. And it is through preaching that dead men begin to resemble people of the kingdom of God. You know, a preacher preaches the commandments to them. Now, and at first, these bones, remember, they're in chaos. They're just all scattered around. Maybe a man died, a skeleton was there, but then carrying, you know, the, the, the predators, or they'd carry one bone over here, one. They're just scattered all over the place. The wind blows them around. It's a jumble of chaos. And so is the lost heart. So is the dead spirit in man. It doesn't know which way is up. It doesn't know. In terms of godly things, it doesn't know a thing. But by preaching. And, and as a young boy, when I grew up as, as a Campbellite lad, they taught me the Ten Commandments. I began to learn right and wrong. And, I, and I, after a while, I learned I was doing everything wrong. See, I, I, was, I was shaping up. Things began to organize as I heard. I mean, they taught me stuff at school, but that really didn't matter to this. The preachers at least preached the commandments. And they'd talk about Jesus. <laughs> when they talk about Jesus, you know, maybe they didn't, but I try to. We talk about his love and his mercy and his compassion and, and how he's, he's just so good to us. And how he, he's good to everybody. He's just... He's good. The Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations according to the psalmist and, I, and according to my own felt belief. This is right and true of our Lord, uh, of how he did uh, make himself of no reputation and came down here amongst the sons of men and, and was born and, and placed in a feed trough and, uh, and never had anything uh, in his ministry, no place to lay his head, lived upon the, the indulgence of people. He was meek and lowly in heart, meaning this is his, his essential nature, God, his essential nature is meekness and lowliness. The word there, lowly, it's, it's, it's exactly the same word that, you know, just translate a little bit different that Mary used when he says, the Lord hath regarded the low estate of his hand. <laughs> Jesus made himself the son of that handmaiden of low estate. He was Meek and lowly in heart. What a wonderful Savior. If we could preach it right, lost people would begin to have their, their spirits oriented from chaos towards the living God. By learning what's right and wrong, they learn they're wrong. 
They learn God is right. They learn that, that they need to seek the Lord. At last, happily, they can feel after him and find him. They, they begin to understand. And, and I can almost see as the preaching goes to, to these various bones that it says, it says what happens. Order comes. It says, so as I prophesied. Have you ever preached, brother, and someone got saved while you're preaching and you could see it? And it's like you're, you're wondering, well, what do I do? Do I keep preaching? Do I stop? And do we, you know, but there's been a time I just kept preaching. And, and I, I began to preach Christ crucified. And I preached him buried. And I preached him risen. And you could hear it in the, in the cries of the lost person as he was buried. She got quiet. She got quiet. She had been screaming when he was on a cross, but buried. He was, she was quiet. I was amazed later when I thought back on it. And then I preached him risen. And she jumps up and says, that's me. That's for me. And, and she was saved. I mean, weird things like that could happen. If the Lord's in control of it, it was my second oldest daughter. But anyway, uh, it says the... Uh, as I prophesied, as I was commanded. See, preachers need to preach what God gives them. We don't assume a thing. We need to, we need to beg God to humble our hearts and fill our minds and, our, and most particularly fill our hearts with what's on his heart. If he fills our heart with what's on his heart, we'll love the people we're preaching to. We have an earnest desire for their good to be done for the God that saved us to, to save them. For the God that blesses our hearts to, to bless your hearts. If, if preachers are right, they are humble and they're meek. And, and we may not be all the time, but if we're standing here to preach, we had better be. Because God resists proud people. And who are we to fight against him? We'll lose. I've lost many a time when I was up here preaching because I did not get humble. We prophesy as we're commanded. And if we prophesy as we're commanded by God for each sermon, I think things happen. There may, may not be a lost people there, but the saved people are going to have their hearts lifted up by it. You know, I mean, God, he says, my word will not return into me void. It goes and it does, it accomplishes that that I send it to do. Just make sure it's him that's put it out there. I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. Behold, a shaking. <laughs> the bones came together, bone to his bone. See how it becomes chaos into organization. Every skeleton's put together with its own matter. Joint to joint in the right order. You know, a leg bone's connected to the leg bone and to the hip bone and the, you know, God brings all that. You know what? It sounds funny, but that's exactly what he's going to do when he raises us from the dead. There are people who have been burned and their ashes scattered to the ocean and he'll find every last bit of it if that's a person. Well, he's going to raise all the dead. He says, they shall come forth. The dead, everyone that's in a grave shall come forth. And I think that means death. Even if, you're, even if your death is in an ocean, it doesn't matter. The sea shall give up her dead. You know, so he's going to find your body. Wherever it is, and he's going to join it together, and you're going to be you again physically to one fate or the other. And I want, fate's a bad word. <laughs> but nevertheless, we understand it. Uh, 
to one destiny or another. Because God, I think, changes our destiny when he saves us. Okay, we, he, he, he has predestined those of us who are saved. Once we're saved, our destiny is to be conformed to the image of his son. Our, our destiny is to be with him where he is. Our destiny is totally different. God has put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. Anyway, so they're all coming together. It says, behold, the sinews in the flesh came upon them. The skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Now, the preachers, when I was a boy, they didn't preach the truth about how you get saved. They preached that if you were baptized, you know, you, you would have to hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized, live a really good life, and then hopefully when you died, you'd be in heaven. You can know it right here. You can know it for certain sure. God will tell it to you and there will be no doubt. The whole world could tell you you're wrong. But if Jesus says you're saved, you know it. And you'll always know it. Now, but even though they taught it wrong, they brought up a bunch of people by their teaching and preaching that look like the kingdom of God. They, they know the Bible. They believe in Jesus. They believe that he lived. They believe that he was. They believed he was good. You, you could ask them about Ezekiel 37. Some mom could quote it to you, okay? I mean, they, they appear to be alive. Unfortunately, that is about as far as, as most religions, other than the true religion. And I'm not talking about just Baptist. <laughs> I'm talking about everybody that gets saved as distinct from everybody that fails to, and yet they, they have been raised with Christian teaching. Okay, so they get that far, and it's hard to tell the difference for flesh and blood. You just look at them, and, you know, you really can't tell much. But God can tell. And he told it to Ezekiel. He says, uh, or Ezekiel knew it somehow or other. He says, they look, they're all there. There's, there's, there's sinews and muscle and, and, and skin, and, and they look. Good, but there is no breath. There's no breath in them. And without breath, they can look just good, but they're dead. They're still dead. So it doesn't matter. Men cannot do it. We, we can preach the truths of God, and, and, and you, you will begin to look like a child of God in your behavior. You will think yourself perhaps to be one in your mind. But there's something lacking until God does something profound. What to do? Well, God tells him. He said, prophesy unto the wind. Now we know in the Old Testament and in the New. The Greek word for wind is exactly the same as the Greek word for spirit. Okay, so pneuma. In the Hebrew, the the, the Hebrew word for wind and the Hebrew word for spirit is the same. They're interchangeable. And I believe here it's talking about the spirit. Why would you preach the, the physical wind? What good is that going to do? But how can a preacher preach to God? I mean, I, <laughs> what can you tell him that he does not know? <clears throat> Nothing, of course. But yet... You know, I read of Moses when the uh, when the the Lord was so 
so angry with the children of Israel, having finally brought them right up to the land of Canaan, they were afraid to go in. They did not trust him. They, they had not trusted him from the time he brought them out. They still didn't trust him. He, he was so angry with him. He said, I'm just going to wipe them off. This is my paraphrase. I'm going to wipe them all out and I'll raise up a people unto myself from you. Now, what about prophecies about the scepter shall not depart from Judah? <laughs> that would mess things up because we'd all be descendants of Levi. Jesus would have to have been born of the tribe of Levi like Moses was, but God can do anything he wants to do. I think he meant it. I think he was really that upset. But Moses, it's almost like he preached to him. He said, what are these neighbors going to think? What are the Egyptians going to think? What are they going to say about a God that pulls his people out here and then kills them? You know, you, you can't do that. That's, that's not good. <laughs> I mean, anyway, now I wouldn't presume to, well, I have it, I guess, to prophesy to God. But I have certainly prayed to God that he would save people. I have certainly, as I prayed to God, if he enables me to, reminded him of how much he loved to save people, how he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, that he has taught us to, to preach the gospel and we've done it. And, and why are these people lost? And well, we know it's sin that's separating us. We also know that, that God can do anything. He drew me to him. He can surely draw anybody else to him. Paul would say, I'm the chief of sinners that in me first, everybody can say, if I can get saved, I think that's what Paul's saying. If I can get saved, anybody can get saved. Who was before a blasphemer and injurious. Well, anyway, I just love, I mean, what do we do? We prophesy to God and, and he says, come from the four winds, O breath means from all directions. Just, just come, spirit, and breathe upon the slain that they may live. Remember in the garden? You know, he, he reached down. Everything else, he commanded it with a word. <laughs> but with bad, now we're special. We sin and we're awful, but, but he made us special. He made us especially special. God reached down into the earth that he created. So he formed us out of the dust of the ground. I mean, that's a personal touch. We don't read him. Do it. He said he made, the, he made the angels also. He made the stars also. I mean, it's a, it's a small thing, but with us, personal. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. And the Spirit of God breathes into the hearts of these people who have been preached to about the Lord Jesus Christ. They live. They live, right? They live right then. It takes God in the final analysis, no matter what we do, God does all the saving. Jesus is the only Savior. And, and, and that would not be possible had he not done everything that he did and everything he did, he did perfectly so that we could live. So, so it says when that happened, he says, so I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Now, this is one of the reasons I think it was a field of bones from a battle. That was the imagery, because it talks about it being an army. Okay. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. That's where people 
get the idea that he's talking about a futuristic thing for the Jews. But, you know, if you want to turn in this same chapter to, um, I think it's 24. Yeah. Verse 24. And David, my servant, shall be king over them. But David's been dead and buried 500 years by the time Ezekiel sees this. It's not going to be King David. David, my servant, Christ is spoken of as the son of David. He is David, the, the tender or the, the sure mercies of David. It's talking about the sure mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's clearly talking about. David's dead and buried. He's one of this, he's one of this crowd. By the way, if you're saved, you're one of those, you're in that field of bones. Because this whole field of bones, every last one of them is given breath by the Spirit of God and they've lived. They have passed from death unto life. And it's done by the preaching of the gospel and by the witness of the gospel of Jesus from Christians to the lost. God working through His Spirit us preaching through our mouths and, and praying with our hearts. and, and I want, He doesn't have to do it that way, but he, he is so pleased. He loves us so much. He wants us to have part. He gives us little parts to play, but they're just little parts. But they're essential parts because he has made them so. He has made them to be so. They didn't have to be so. Uh. David, my servant, shall be king over them. And they shall all have one shepherd. Isn't that exactly what Jesus said? They'll all have one shepherd, one flock, one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statues and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob. Of course, <laughs> that's, the, that's the new world, the promised land, the the true Canaan, where, where, where there remaineth a rest, a Sabbath, for the people of God. It's not talking about a thousand years, right? It's talking about an eternal kingdom where God has ceased to strive with men. Everyone that fought against him, they're in a lake of fire. But every one of them who heard the voice of the Son of God and lived, they arose up. As the Spirit of God came into them, they lived and they have been changed permanently from a state of death to a state of life. Listen to now what comes next and I'll be done, Lord willing. So here's the whole house of Israel. That's what he says. Then said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. We're talking about the Israel of God. You know, he is not a Jew that is one outwardly and has the circumcision of flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly and has the circumcision of the heart. That's an operation performed by God only. And it's not male specific. It's, it's every person who enters into the kingdom of God through the, through the work of Christ and the actions of the Spirit and the preaching of his servants and all that. Through whatever means we are pressed into that kingdom, we become Jews. I thought about that as I thought about this lesson. You know, when you're new in a place and you're registering for doctor's offices and, and you're registering for your whatever, you know, your driver's license and all that, 
They want you to tell what nationality you are or what race you are. And I usually just never put a thing. But I think I'm going to start writing Jew. <laughs> we would be absolutely legitimate. Every last one of us that is saved, they are not Jews who are outwardly. He says they're not. We are. Now, there are many Jews that are outwardly that have also been saved, and they are Jews just like we are. But the distinction is not the flesh. The distinction. There's only ever really truly been one people of God. It's the Hebrews. He's, he's the God of the Hebrews. He's the God of the Jews. He's the God of Israel through promise and through actions of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's talk a little bit more and we'll be done. It's the whole house of Israel. That's another reason I know it's not just the Jews because we're part of the house of Israel if we're saved. Behold, they say. So God's listening to this army. The, the prophet can't hear it. You know, God is the one that looks on people's hearts. He knows what we're talking about. He's talking about us. He's talking about us here and now. This is something we say. We may not say it in these words, but we say it. Son of man. These are the whole. Uh, anyway, he says, uh, behold, they say our bones are dried. Our hope is lost. We are cut off for or because of our parts. What did Paul say in, I think it's Romans chapter 7. That which I would, I cannot. That which I would not, that's what I do. You know, who, who shall save me from the body of this death? See, we, having been born again inwardly, outwardly, we're still false. We're still full of sin. We fight against it. But anyone that says they won against it, they're a liar. And the truth is not in them. We will, you know, Paul, the apostle says, I, I know that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Now get that locked down because that, that's not an excuse, but it's a, it's a truth. It's a reality. Never think of yourself is good. Even that spiritual thing born in you by the grace of God, it was just given to you. What do you have that you didn't receive? What do you have? What would you have been? You'd been all everybody else. It was dead in sins and trespasses. Everything we've got has come by the grace of God. We're cut off because of our parts, because of our members. We're, we're weak. We're, you know, the hope, and it often happens, our hope wanes. Not our hope of eternal life, we've got that, but our hope that our, that our children will get saved, that the church was prospered, that, that, that I don't know what our hopes are. We all have all kinds of hopes, but you know good and well if you're saved that you're up and down. There's high points and the low points. People talk about mountains and valleys, however you want to put it. Uh, it's not all roses, is it? Once we're saved. It's all roses, but our flesh is weak and it doesn't seem that way sometimes. As we age, we learn that our flesh is just like everybody else's. Our bodies betray us. Things don't work like they're supposed to work. And there reaches a point where you just want to be out of it. You just want to be out of it. And he has an answer for that right here in this chapter. <laughs> we're cut off for our parts. Therefore, prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, 
I will open your graves. See? I mean, now, have you ever been at the gravesite? I mean, we just buried, uh, well, it was two days ago, I think, a dear sister at New Bethel that I'd known and loved, Martha Moore. And uh, she had been a member there 70 years. Precious lady. I didn't go to the gravesite. I had to get back uh, for Wednesday night. That's when it was. It was Wednesday. But uh, I've been there when they buried a saint. I was there when they buried my daughter. I've been, other, you know, I've thought about them. Really, they're not that far down. Have you ever visualized that grave bursting open? <laughs> Have you ever been there and just visualized? Maybe it's your father or your mother or your wife or your husband or, or your child. And, and, you, and you've laid them in there. You've done what you can, but you can't do anything. You can't really do anything. God can do something. He's going to open the grave. They're going to come. You know, there's a, there's a song. Graves are bursting. Saints are shouting. That's what's going to happen. It's going to all happen at once. All flesh shall see him together. He's going to come back. And they're coming up. The dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive, it is coming after that. They're coming up. It's not that far. They're coming up. And they're not coming up nasty. <laughs> He's going to give them a new body. If you just read 1 Corinthians 15, we don't have time for it. It'll be so much glory, more glorious than, than these old feeble, sinful bodies. It's not just that it won't sin. It'll, it'll hardly be recognizable compared to the old one, but yet we'll recognize each other. In the Mount of Transfiguration, have you ever asked yourself, how was it that Peter, James, and John recognized Moses? They didn't have cameras. <laughs> They didn't have any paintings of Moses. How did they know it was Moses and Elijah? How did they know? They knew. We'll know even as we're known. We'll recognize everyone, I believe, of the saints of God. All the way back to Abel. I believe that. I think the Bible is pretty clear. He says, oh, my people. I just love that. Behold, oh, my people. See, we're, we're like, we're kind of, we get hopeless and and as we get older, it's just like, uh, you know, I wish I was out. We see the world change. We see our country change. Things get worse and worse. And, and I've, I've almost have abandoned hope for this nation, but I have not abandoned hope for people getting saved. I'm thinking someone's going to get saved this week. I believe it with all my heart. I believe he's going to save here. I can't cause it to happen, but I hope it so much that I believe it. I hope I'm not wrong about it. But we get down. But he says, oh, my people. It's like, if you only knew. If he just really had some idea of the glory that's, that I have set aside for you. I'll open your graves. I'll cause you to come up out of your graves. I'll bring you into the land of Israel. Canaan's land. You know, we seldom sing it. To Canaan's land, I'm on my way where the soul of man never dies. Neither will our bodies in that blessed rest. There remains a rest for the people of God. Canaan represents that new world to which we go. And Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem being its capital city. I've heard Rick Jones talk about it where he talks about a city and a country. He said it's going to be country living in a city. 
I don't, you know, he's probably right because it talks about a city and a country and we're going to be in both. He says, I'll put my spirit in you and you will live. Talking about in, in our bodies, our resurrected bodies, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it, performed it, saith the Lord. That's the end of the, the message. I would just encourage anyone here that's lost. You need to be saved. You think there's just a little problem between you and God, but you're dead in sin. And that's hopelessly. Dead. I did have one more. Pat. I'll read this one to you. It might, it might quicken you just a little bit if you understand it. It's in uh, Revelation chapter 20. It talks about the ones uh, that live with Christ a thousand years. It says in verse 5, But the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Now what Jesus was talking about in, in John chapter 5, when he says, the day, uh, the day is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and live. That's the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. That's being born again. That's what that is. He's not talking about coming out of our graves. He talks about that two verses later when he says, don't marvel, I'm going to bring you up out of your graves. Okay. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God. And of Christ, it shall reign with him a thousand years. I think that just means forever. I know we will reign. It's, it's an everlasting kingdom. It's, it's forever and ever and ever. The Bible teaches that. Now, I, I do believe that departed saints are reigning with him right now. I do believe that. Not in physical bodies, but ultimately in physical bodies will reign with him forever. What a glorious thing Jesus has done for us. What a, what a concept. We talk about plans. You know, God has a plan. I may have mentioned it. I like the King James Bible. Plan is not even in it. They're not, the, the word plan does not exist in that book. It ain't there. You'll find it in other versions, but it's not in the King James one I use. God has a will. He has thoughts towards us. He, 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 has, uh, he has a purpose. He does what he pleases, but I don't think he has to plot on it. I think, I think his will comes out full grown. I think when he said, let there be light, there was light. And when he said, you know, stars, and there were stars. I, I, I don't think he has to plot it. I think every thought he has is perfect, mature, ready. And when he speaks, it is. Isn't that something? I, that's how I think about God. I may be wrong. Maybe he's thought about it for a lot, but I, that's too human for me. <laughs> we do that kind of stuff. We plan buildings and all that kind of stuff. We're not God. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. They're so much higher that we can't get there. I'm going to shut up and turn it over uh, to Brad, if he would.